Psalm 135 Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel, as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both man and of beast who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Shion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever, your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages, For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 14 At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps throughout the whole kingdom, and over three of them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that any one who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be broken. Then they answered and said before the king Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. The Small Catechism, the Second Commandment You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. The Large Catechism, the Second Commandment You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The first commandment has instructed the heart and taught the faith. This commandment now leads us forward and directs the mouth and tongue toward God. For the first things that spring from the heart and show themselves are words. I have taught above how to answer the question, what does it mean to have a God? Now you must simply learn to understand the meaning of this commandment and all the commandments and apply it to yourself. If someone now asks, how do you understand the second commandment or what is meant by taking God's name in vain or misusing God's name, answer briefly in this way. It means misusing God's name when we call upon the Lord God, no matter how, in order to deceive or do wrong of any kind. Therefore, this commandment makes this point. God's name must not be appealed to falsely or taken upon the lips, while the heart knows well enough, or should know, that the truth of the matter is different. This is what happens with people who take oaths in court, where one side lies against the other. For God's name cannot be misused worse than for the support of falsehood and deceit. Let this remain the exact German and simplest meaning of this commandment. From this, everyone can easily see when and in how many ways God's name is misused, although it is impossible to list all its misuses. But to explain this in a few words, all misuse of the divine name happens first in worldly businesses and in matters that concern money, possessions, and honor. This applies publicly in court, in the market, or wherever else people make false oaths in God's name or pledge their souls in any matter. This is especially common in marriage affairs where two go and secretly get engaged to one another and afterward break their engagement. But the greatest abuse occurs in spiritual matters. These have to do with the conscience, when false preachers rise up and offer their lying vanities as God's word.
look, all this is dressing up oneself with God's name, or making a pretty show, or claiming to be right. This is true whether it happens in common worldly businesses or in higher, refined matters of faith and doctrine. Blasphemers also belong with the liars. I mean not just the most ordinary blasphemers, well known to everyone, who disgrace God's name without fear. These are not for us to discipline, but for the hangman. I also mean those who publicly disgrace the truth and God's word and hand it over to the devil. There is now no need to speak about this further. Here, then, let us learn and take to heart the great importance of this commandment. Then, with all diligence, we may guard against and dread every misuse of the holy name as the greatest sin that can be committed outwardly. For to lie and to deceive is in itself a great sin. But such a sin gets even worse when we try to justify our lie and seek to confirm it by calling on God's name and using his name as a cloak for shame, so that from a single lie a double lie results. No many lies. For this reason, too, God is Adam a solemn threat to this commandment, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This means that this sin shall not be pardoned for anyone or go unpunished. For just as he will not fail to avenge if anyone turns his heart from him, so he will also not let his name be used to dress up a lie. Now, unfortunately, this sin is a common plague in the world, There are so few people who do not use God's name for purposes of lying and all wickedness in contrast to those who trust in God alone with their heart. By nature, we all have within us this beautiful virtue that whoever has committed a wrong would like to cover up and adorn his disgrace so that no one may see it or know it. No one is so bold as to boast to all the world of the wickedness he has done. All wish to act by stealth and without anyone being aware of what they do. So if anyone is caught sinning, God's name is dragged into the affair and must make the wickedness look like the godliness and the shame like honor. This is the common way of the world which has covered all lands like a great flood, so we get what we seek and deserve as our reward. Epidemics, wars, famines, raging fires, floods, wayward wives, children, servants, and all sorts of filth. Where else should so much misery come from? It is still a great mercy that the earth bears and supports us. Therefore, above all things, our young people should have this second commandment earnestly pressed upon them. They should be trained to hold this and the first commandment in high regard. And whenever they sin, we must at once be after them with the rod. We must hold the commandment before them and constantly teach it, so that we bring them up not only with punishment but also in reverence and fear of God. Now, you understand what it means to take God's name in vain. In some, it means a. to use his name simply for purposes of falsehood, b. to assert in God's name something that is not true, or c. to curse, swear, use spells, and in short, to practice whatever wickedness one may. Besides this, you must also know how to use God's name rightly. For when he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, he wants us to understand, at the same time, that his name is to be used properly. For his name has been revealed and given to us, so that it may be of constant use and profit. So it is natural to conclude that since this commandment forbids using the holy name for falsehood or wickedness, we are, on the one hand, commanded to use his name for truth and for all good, like when someone takes an oath truthfully when it is needed and it is demanded. This commandment also applies to right teaching and to calling on his name in trouble or praising and thanking him in prosperity, and so on. All of this is summed up in commanded in Psalm 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble, 
I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. For all this is bringing God's name into service of truth and using it in a blessed way. In this way his name is hallowed as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Now you have the sum of the entire commandment explained. With this understanding, the question that has troubled many teachers has been easily solved. Why is swearing prohibited in the gospel and yet Christ, St. Paul, and other saints often swore? The explanation is briefly this. We are not to swear in support of evil, that is, to support falsehood, or to swear when there is no need or use. But we should swear for the support of good and the advantage of our neighbor. For such swearing is truly a good work by which God is praised, truth and right are established, falsehood is refuted, peace is made among men, obedience is rendered, and quarrels are settled. For in this way God himself intervenes and separates right and wrong, good and evil. If one party swears falsely, he lives under this judgment, he shall not escape punishment. Even if this judgment is delayed a long time, he shall not succeed. So everything he may gain from this falsehood will slip out of his hands, and he will never enjoy it. I have seen this in the case of many who perjured themselves in their wedding vows. They have never had a happy hour or a healthful day, and so perished miserably in body, soul, and possessions. Therefore I advise and exhort, as before, that with warning and threatening, restraint and punishment, the children should be trained early to shun falsehood. They should especially avoid the use of God's name to support falsehood. For where children are allowed to do as they please, no good will result. This is clear even now. The world is worse than it has ever been, and there is no government, no obedience, no loyalty, no faith, but only daring, unbridled people. No teaching or reproof helps them. All this is God's wrath and punishment for such lewd contempt of this commandment. On the other hand, children should be constantly urged and moved to honor God's name and to have it always upon their lips for everything that may happen to them or come to their notice. For that is the true honor of his name, to look to it and call upon it for all consolation. Then, as we have heard in the first commandment, the heart by faith gives God the due honor to him first. Afterward, the lips give him honor by confession. This is also a blessed and useful habit, and very effective against the devil. He is ever around us and lies in wait to bring us into sin and shame, disaster and trouble. But he hates to hear God's name and cannot refrain, remain long where it is spoken and called upon from the heart. Indeed, many terrible and shocking disasters would fall upon us if God did not preserve us by our calling upon his name. I have tried it myself. I learned by experience that often sudden great suffering was immediately averted and removed by calling on God. To confuse the devil, I say, we should always have this holy name in our mouth so that the devil may not be able to injure us as he wishes. It is also useful that we form the habit of daily commending ourselves to God with soul and body, wife, children, servants, and all that we have against every need that may arise. So also the blessing and thanksgiving at meals and other prayers, morning and evening, have begun and remained in use. Likewise, children should continue to cross themselves when they hear anything monstrous or anything terrible is seen or heard. They can shout, Lord God, protect us, help us, dear Lord Jesus, and such. Also, if anyone meets with unexpected good fortune, however trivial, he says, God be praised and thanked, or God has bestowed this on me and so on, just as the children used to learn to fast and pray to St. Nicholas and other saints before. This would be more pleasing and acceptable to God than all monasticism and Carthusian acts of holiness. Look, we could train our youth this way, 
in a childlike way and playfully in the fear and honor of God, then the first and second commandments might be well kept and in constant practice. Then some good might take root, spring up, and bear fruit. People would grow up whom an entire land might relish and enjoy. In addition, this would be the true way to bring up children well as long as they could be trained with kindness and delight. For children who must be forced with rods and blows will not develop into a good generation. At best, they will remain godly under such treatment only as long as the rod is upon their backs. But teaching the commandments in a childlike and playful way spreads its roots in the heart so that the children fear God more than rods and clubs. This I say with such simplicity for the sake of the young, that it may penetrate their minds, for we are preaching to children, so we must always talk like them. In this way we would prevent the abuse of the divine name and teach the right use. This should happen not only in words, but also in practice and life. Then we may know God is well pleased with this, and will as richly reward the good use of his name, as he will terribly punish the abuse. The Table of Duties to bishops, pastors, and preachers. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. 1 Timothy 3, 2-4 He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 1 Timothy 3.6 He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus 1.9